Lord, our, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the first thing is, some of you probably were sitting there saying, didn't we hear this scripture reading in church about two, three, four weeks ago, and then didn't we hear Jimmy Curtis stand up and preach on this text? Anybody, did that thought cross your mind? I know it crossed Jimmy's mind because when he got the reader list, he said, I think we got the same reading in twice. And I said, yeah, because there's always more to the text than what we preach on one time. Last time, you may remember what Jimmy shared with you and what I shared with some good people up at Word of Life in Lincoln, Nebraska, was the, the high price of being a disciple, the hard side of it. Today we're going to take a slightly different look at this text. But we're in week two of a series that I'm calling Road Rules. It has to do with four different sayings of Jesus here in the chapter of Mark. They're kind of foundations for the Christian life. There are some fundamental principles that are summed up in these chapters. Now, last week, if you weren't here, or if you were here, it helped me remind you a little bit. Uh, we looked at Mark 10:15, where it said, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So we talked about the importance of childlike faith. Now, today's story is about the rich young ruler. Uh, you can find this in more than just here in Mark, because Matthew refers to him as young. Uh, Luke refers to him as a ruler. And then Matthew, Mark, and Luke all refer to him as rich, which is why we call him what? The rich young ruler. So we're going to take a look at this story, and I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to make some observations today on the text. Here's the first observation I want to make to you, and it's this, that a flurry of emotion is not enough to sustain the spiritual life. I think, yeah, that's right up there. The flurry of emotion isn't enough to sustain a spiritual life. Now, I hope you noticed when you heard Dennis read this text that this rich young man, how he approached Jesus, it said he came running and he fell to his knees and he addressed Jesus in some very highly exalted terminology. It was a great beginning. It was full of emotion. But it was a beginning, if you will, without any substance. It was motion without emotions. Now, this man, probably pretty sincere, was actually what I would call salvation shopping. He, he did not come and say, as we're going to sing after a while, I surrender all. He came to Jesus and asked, what do I need to do? In, in other words, what are the minimum requirements for this to work in my life? In other, he's going to be asking Jesus, what's the bottom line? What's your best price, Jesus, for me to be a sold-out follower of yours. Sad to, tell you, sad to say a lot of people approach Christianity with that same kind of mindset. What's the minimum I need to do in order to be saved? Or to put it the way I saw on a bumper sticker not long ago, how much sin can I commit and still go to heaven? And I had a feeling because of a couple of other bumper stickers on that same pickup truck, he was probably pretty accurate in asking that question. That's just my assumption. But see, with all of this running, with all of this kneeling, with all of this flattery, this man made a great first impression. But what we learn is that the Christian life goes a whole lot more deeper than first impressions. It's much deeper than a show of emotions. It's much, much deeper than this surface respectability. Now, here's the second observation. Jesus cannot be fooled with insincere religious talk. 
Now, you may be able to blow smoke with human beings, but you're not going to be able to blow smoke with Jesus. Now, this guy comes and says, good teacher. He's on his knees, and he's saying, good teacher. And he no doubt expected Jesus to answer in a highly respectful way, which was the custom of the day. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He fully expected Jesus to respond with, most honored and good sir. That's what custom called for. Most honored and good sir. But Jesus cuts right to the chase, doesn't he? Skips that. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, you heard this a couple weeks ago. Is, is he saying he's not good or that he's not God? No, he's not saying any of that. He just saying, why, why are you calling me good? Don't you know who you're talking to? You know, are you calling me good because you actually believe that I am the Messiah? <laughs> or are you just smooth talking to me? See, the temptation often is to politely dismiss Jesus as a good man, a good teacher, an outspoken prophet, a brilliant thinker. But you know, actually, none of those labels are very good. I mean, just consider for a moment, Jesus actually claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus claimed to be the only way to salvation. Jesus claimed to have the power to forgive sins. Jesus claimed to be in existence from all eternity. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. Now, i got to tell you something. A person who claims those, those things is a liar of insane proportions, or he's telling the truth. Like C.S. Lewis said, he is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Make up your mind. Now, you're going to see a picture up on the screen from an old television show, Frasier. Uh, there's an episode of Frasier, and if you ever watch these shows, I, I remember this show. He endorses a seemingly ideal political candidate, and then suddenly discovers that this candidate also believes that he had been abducted by aliens. So he is now torn because... Even though he agrees with everything this candidate stands for, he also knows that somebody who believes that he was abducted by aliens has no business serving in political leadership. Now, I want to suggest to you that that same principle belongs to Jesus, applies to Jesus. I mean, somebody who's going to stand up and claim to be God, somebody's going to stand, who's going to stand up and say, I'm the only way for you to get to heaven. And by the way, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to build a mansion for every last single one of you. You cannot dismiss that guy as a good man or a good teacher. Either he is delusional or he's telling the truth. I mean, there's only two options here, friends. If he's lying, he has no business being a good teacher. If he's telling the truth, then you need to accept him for who he is. He's Jesus the Messiah. He is Lord of all. Now... The question is, how would you tell whether he's telling the truth? How do you know whether Jesus was telling the truth about all the stuff he said? Well, very simply, it's because one Friday afternoon they put his lifeless body in a cold, dark tomb. Presumably they put him in there forever. But on the third day, the breath of God entered his lungs, blood began to flow in his veins, his eyes opened up, filled with light, he stood to his feet in resurrection power, and this so-called good teacher who once was dead, was now alive again, having conquered the power of death, having proven that he is who he says he is. That's how you know he was telling the truth. Now, meanwhile, back to the story. Let's go back to the story. 
Jesus looked at this guy who says, good teacher, and, and, and did you hear it? He said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said, Who then can be saved? A couple more observations. Next observation. Love speaks what is necessary. Love speaks what is necessary. Mark is an interesting one. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it's always kind of good to read all of it in John to get the whole story of Jesus, what Mark does is he has a way of including certain details in his stories that bring a certain amount of color and significance to what he's talking about. And here he makes this interesting point that Jesus looked at him and what? He loved him. Now, he says this specifically because as we see, Jesus is about to let this guy walk away. He loved him, but he was willing to let him walk away. See, Mark wanted his readers to understand that this wasn't because Jesus didn't care. He loved him, but no matter how much you love someone, it does not change the truth, and it doesn't change what's necessary. Sometimes, out of love, you just plain simple need to walk away or let someone else walk away. See, this man came to Jesus and wanted to negotiate the terms of his salvation and found out that the terms of salvation are never negotiable. He wanted Jesus to give him something doable, you know, something kind of like along the lines of what he was already doing. Uh, he was probably willing to do even a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe he was willing to try a little harder. Maybe he was actually willing to raise his tithe from 10% to 12%. I mean, who knows? But Jesus says, in effect, buddy, that's not the way it works. I love you. I love you too much not to tell you the truth. You don't receive eternal life when you've done everything that's on some sort of a little spiritual checklist. You receive eternal life when you surrender all, when you give everything you have that's near and dear to you. Well, that leads us to our, our next observation. is this, that an attachment to money can ruin your life. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. By the way, there, there was in Jerusalem a little passageway that they did call the eye of a needle. And people understood that a camel would have a hard time squeezing through there. But it's also kind of an interesting thing to picture that you've got a little needle here, you know, the little island, and try to squeeze this camel through here. It's kind of funny when you think about it. And when we hear a rich man, how hard it is for a rich man, I know what you're already thinking. That's not me. I mean, rich man, that's got to be Bill Gates. Rich man, that's got to be Warren Buffett, but that's not me. But friends, the truth is, Every last one of us, compared to the rest of the people in this world, are rich. There are millions and billions of people in this world who would gladly change their position for yours today. But see, it's not really a question of how much money, it's not really a question of net worth or bottom line, it's a question of whether or not you trust in those riches. Whether you would rather be financially secure 
or eternally secure. That's the choice. Now, it's kind of interesting. Jesus talks about money more than anything else. He talks about, Jesus talks more about money than he does about prayer. I mean, most of Jesus' parables had something to do with money. But he never had much good to say about it. In fact, he talked a lot about the destructive power of wealth. And that's because people allow themselves to be very easily seduced by the lure of things to the point of abandoning their spiritual priorities. You see a picture here up on the screen of Dr. Samuel Johnson. And Samuel Johnson was being shown around a rather lavish castle estate one time, and he turned to those people around him and said, these are the things that make it difficult to die. Have you ever felt that way? You looked at some of the stuff you had and said, man, this is the kind of stuff that makes it really hard to die. The possessions and the desire for more have a way of gripping your soul, distorting your values, even to the point of thinking that if I had just a few more toys, or if I got this check every month that had enough zeros at the end of it, it's almost better than spending an eternity with Jesus. And there's that great bumper sticker that says, He who dies with the most toys still dies. Or, better yet, have you ever seen a U-Haul trailer in a funeral procession? You're not going to take it with you. See, the lure and the desire for more and more give you a false sense of security. We're tempted often to say, if I only had a sizable stash of cash, or if I had this steady stream of cash, I'd be so happy. I mean, if I had X amount of dollars, I would be absolutely happy. All of my problems would be done. All of my worries would disappear. But you know, the desire for more only makes you greedy. Remember what Jesus said about greedy? Luke 12:15. be on your guard against all kinds of greedy. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, there are some people, believe it or not, who have heard this story about the rich young ruler, and they said, well, are you telling me, I mean, does God here actually expect us to sell everything and become poor? Is that the point of this story? Well, the short answer is no. We don't see this requirement anywhere in the Bible. Some of you remember the story about Zacchaeus, remember that wee little guy up in the tree, the little sycamore tree? When he decided to be a follower of Jesus, he said, right now, right here and now, I, I, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. What did Jesus say to him? Hold it, little guy. 50%? How about 100%? Fork over 100%, then we'll talk. Now, that, that's not what Jesus said. When he said, I give 50%, Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. That's what he said. Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, said, Command those who are rich in this present world to what? To fork it over even more? Sounds kind of like a political campaign when I think about it. But we won't go there. But command those who are rich in this world to do what? Uh, to sell everything they have so that they can take care of the poor? No, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their trust or hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I mean, some people have got a lot of stuff, and he wants you to enjoy it. So why does Jesus tell this young, rich man that he must sell everything he has and give it away? 
Well, the answer is really the rule of the road for today. See, Jesus knew that there was one thing, one thing that stood in the way of this man living a fully devoted life to God. It wasn't the fact that he had wealth. It was the attachment to what I would call a security blanket. I think there's a picture. You all know what a security blanket is. I mean, some of you raised your kids that way. You got their blankie, their zinky, their bunny, their whatever. Some of you still got it. You got your own personal, yeah, John, I see it's called an iPhone. <laughs> that's, your, that's your security. Oh, my God, I don't know where my phone is. I don't know where my phone is. I'm going to die if I can't find my phone. Yeah, somebody called me the other day and said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just locked my desk. I can't find the key to my desk. And I said, yeah, so my phone is in it. I said, well, how'd you call me? Well, I had to use a, one of those real phones. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't know what your number was. You know, normally you just go, recent calls. Yeah, but he didn't mind. And this guy, you know, he had a, a security plan. He didn't mind belonging to the local church. He didn't mind showing up on a regular basis. He didn't probably mind giving his tithe like was required. He probably didn't even mind taking care of a few moral principles because when Jesus said, you heard about the Ten Commandments, he go, oh yeah, kept those, kept those. But he drew the line in letting go of what really mattered. And for him, what really mattered was the comfort and the security that he was convinced that only money could buy. See, that's why Jesus said, people who've got riches, those who trust in riches, the end of the kingdom, that's really hard. That's something about money that causes people to believe that money is all that matters. So it really comes down to this security blanket you have. Now, I want to ask you this question. You see that picture of Linus there in a security blanket? What's the one thing that you can't let go of even for God. What's the one thing that you would not want to let go of even for God? Good question. You know, for some people, it is money. It is money. Or maybe at least the desire for money. Uh, for some people, it's sex. For other people, it's prestige or power or position. For some people, it's some form of addiction. I'd sooner hang on to this than hang on to Jesus. For some people, it's a hobby. They would, they would just assume, they, they, they'd never want to give up. Oh, I'm gonna, this is treading on shaky ground. I'd never want to give up deer hunting for Jesus. I'd never want to give up seeing my kids on the weekend. You know, we all got our little security blanket. It comes down to what you choose. So what's that one thing you let, can't even let go of? See, now, security blankets come in all shapes, all sizes, but they all have something in common. They have convinced you that, what, that they can somehow offer you something that's greater than what you will experience being fully devoted to God. Now, the truth is, everybody, from Dennis all the way around to me and circled all the way around back to... Katie, that's about as far back as it goes. Every last one of us here has a security blanket. 
Some of us have two. Some of us got a whole drawer full. Some of us got a cedar chest loaded with security blankets. And they potentially stand in the way of living a committed life. And sometimes we find ourselves saying, this is something I could never let go of. I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've actually had somebody tell me, Pastor, I'd like to be a Christian. I, I thought about being a Christian, but I could never live up to it. I, I, I just fail. So why try? I've also known many Christians, a lot of Christians I know that park their posterior in a pew every Sunday, who kind of live in that never, never land of what I would call partial discipleship, who've said to me, I know that I need to be more fully devoted to God. I, I really know I should be sold out for Jesus. I really ought to be radical, but, you know, but here comes the security blankets. But I'd fail. I, I, I couldn't do that. And see, this is where the rule for the road comes in. Jesus goes on and says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, uh, kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then could be saved? They said that because they thought in that day, at least in that day, the more money you had, the more apt you were going to heaven. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, the principle of believing in the impossible is something that Jesus mentions in the previous chapter, chapter 9, and something he's going to say again in chapter 11. In Mark chapter 9, 23, he says, Everything is possible for him who believes. Then skip over a couple of chapters, Mark 11, he says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and will be yours. And then in today's story, again, he goes back and says, Look, man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, I wore this tie today for a reason. I don't know if you can tell what the picture is on there. It's Jesus walking on the water. Now, why was Jesus able to walk on the water? He's Jesus. Come on, for heaven's sake, he's Jesus. How many of you walked on water on the way to church this morning? Some of you some of you are upset you had to walk through the water. But there was another guy who actually walked on the water for a little while. Anybody know who that was? Because he asked Jesus, he sees Jesus taking a little stroll across the pond and says, Ask me to come on out. Peter. And Peter actually walked on the water until what? He spotted his security blanket. See, if he'd have kept his eyes on what? Jesus, instead of the waves and the wind and the storm, he'd have been motoring right across the Sea of Galilee. Wouldn't that have been cool? I'd love to do that. I wouldn't have to take the ferry later this afternoon. I could just walk right across the Mississippi. That'd be cool. I think I'd get a pretty good reception in prison. They saw me walking across the Mississippi right into prison. <laughs> I think they might say, I think he has a word of the Lord for us later today. <laughs> might be. Kind of interesting. Here's, here's the basic principle then for today. God will call you 
to the point of your perceived impossibilities. Now, ruminate on that one a while. Ruminate's a good word. That's what a cow does. Chew it, swallow it, bring it back up again, chew it a few more times, keep swallowing, keep chewing on it. God will call you to the point of your perceived impossibilities. See, if you'll take the next step, if you'll go beyond where you think you can't go any further, you're going to end up experiencing unfulfilled possibilities in him. Now, we hear, and later we're going to sing, all things are possible with God. Now, when we hear that, we often think that means God is going to heal me. Or we think that means God is going to meet this financial need. Or this means that God is going to solve this problem. Or that that God is somehow going to change this situation. And those things are true. God can do that if he chooses to do it. But most significantly, in the context of this story, what we really see is it means that God can change you. Change you. You can't save yourself. You can only surrender yourself. But when you do, there is absolutely no limit whatsoever to what God can accomplish in your life. Now, I'm going to give you a phrase here to repeat. The phrase is this, all things are possible with God. Try that. All things are possible with God. Okay, now when I point to you, you're going to say that. For those of you who think I could never do that, I have a word for you. For those of you who think I could never change this about myself, I have good news for you. And for those of you who think I'm too weak to stick with this, know this. And for those of you who think I could never pay the price, never forget. So that's the second rule of the road. What is it? All things are possible with God. Philippians chapter 4.13, great verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Friends, your future is not determined by your weakness. It's determined by God's greatness. It's, It's not determined by what you can't do or what you can't let go of. It's determined by his power to change you when you surrender all And we might add dot, 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 all your security blankets to him. Now, we all know how the story of the rich young ruler ends. He walks away. He was sad because he had all the money. Dragged his little security blanket behind him. But what if, what if, what if he'd actually said to Jesus, Okay, Jesus, I'll go and sell all that I have and give it away so that I can follow you. What would have happened? Well, Jesus tells us the answer, really. He says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, pot, children, fields with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, is he saying that if you give away one house, you'll get back exactly one hundred? No. This this is the typical Jewish way of using exaggeration to make a point. Just like Jesus says, it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. He's doing the same thing here. He's just saying that whatever you surrender to God, you'll get back and then some. If your family, let's say, rejects you for following Christ, following Jesus, you're going to find that when you're part of the family of God, you've got more brothers and sisters than you know what to do with. If you give up the security of your wealth, 
you're going to find yourself living within the security of God's wealth, and he will meet all of your needs, the Bible says, according to his riches in glory. My daughter called me last night, and she said, Dad, I'm just, I want to tell you something, and I just want to get some advice. And she said, there's a possibility of a new job uh, coming. And she said, it sounds like something I'd really enjoy, but I would have to take a pretty sizable salary cut. And she says, I know you and Mom have done that on a couple of occasions. I'm just wondering what you think. And I said to her, since I was just working on the sermon, I said, well, how important to you is it to you, Terry, how much money you make? She says, well, it's important to a degree. I said, what do you mean by that? She says, well, if I would make less, she said, I might not be able to afford some of the things I like to afford, like getting my nails done and going to the spa, you know, going to this person to cut my hair as opposed to hair or us or something like that. And she said, and I suppose if it was enough, I might have to think about getting a roommate or maybe not being able to afford the rent I pay you. Or I might think, have to think about the next time I get a car to get one that's a little cheaper. I said, so what do you think about that? She said, well, that's why I called. And I said, what's God telling you? What's God telling you? She says, well, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm praying right now. And I said, let me ask this question. If God suggested to you that this new job would be a really good job for you and a nice change, and understand that my daughter now working for one of the major companies in the United States works probably 70 to 80 hours a week, might have a job where she'd only work 40 and make less money. If God says this is where he wants you, what are you going to do? She says, I'm going to be willing then to live accordingly. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? What would you be willing to give up to follow what God asks you to do? Now, I don't know that God's going to ask you to do that. I mean, God may say, no, you've got a far better place here. Money doesn't make any difference. What you've got is a place where you can touch a whole lot more people in this life. But I ended up by telling her, I said, you know, there's a Bible passage. I said, you know what it is. It says that God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory. That's a promise of God. Jesus also told us that there are things that come along your way, too, that are also called persecutions. When you give up some stuff, there are some persecutions. Uh, Troubles are a fact of life, and they always will be. No doubt about it. Life is not a picnic, it's not a bowl of cherries, it's not a bed of roses. It's an exciting, adventurous, wondrous journey. A journey that's made all the much more worthwhile when you simply remember this rule of the road. All things are possible with God. Let's stand and join in an affirmation of our faith in this one.